Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Let us bow our heads. Thank you, Lord, for the message that Patricia brought and, and for the uh, fellowship and the, and the worship that we have uh, engaged uh, thus so far. We pray that your spirit opens our hearts to your word, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, those of you, the, the, the younger generation, the kids, you should have your word ser- uh, worship service game with you so that you can get your, uh, your little treat from, um, from Donna after the, the uh, sermon is over. So if you don't have it, you can go to the table up front and get it, your worship service game. Um, her, uh, I read about a, uh, a, a seminary professor who um, was studying in the Holy Lands, and uh, he met a man who claimed that he had memorized the entire Old Testament in Hebrew. That's a big deal. So as you can imagine, a seminary professor, he was very intrigued, and he wanted a demonstration about that. And so they agreed he was going to go to his a man's house uh, for a demonstration. And so the day came, he went to the man's house, and, and, and so the man asked him, well, where, where would you want me to start? And the man, a professor, since he was an avid student of the Psalms, he said, well, why don't you start with, with the Psalm, the book of Psalms? He said, okay, I'll start with the book of Psalms, and open Psalm 1-1, and he began to recite from memory Psalm 1-1, as, uh, Psalm 1 as the uh, you know, the professor was following along in his Hebrew Bible. And for two hours, this man narrated by memory, without making a mistake, the entire book of Psalms in Hebrew. That's a big deal, I tell you. So as you can imagine, this, this, this seminary professor was astounded. Oh, wow, this is amazing. But what's more astonishing was what the, the professor found out after their, you know, at the end of their, their the time together. As it turned out, this man, who just narrated Psalms in Hebrew, was an atheist. Now, here was a man who knew Scripture more than any, most Christians ever will. And he, and he didn't even believe in God. thought that was amazing. Now, uh, some years ago, some of you may remember uh, comedian uh, Jay Leno. He used to be the, uh, the uh, host of The Tonight Show some years ago. And um, one of the things he, he did sometimes in his show is that he would walk into the audience and he would ask questions about a particular topic. And on, on this particular night, he went into the audience and asked uh, to see what they, they knew about the Bible. So he asked questions. So he said, well, uh, name one of the Ten Commandments. It was silence for a few seconds. And then somebody blurted out, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> name one of the apostles. Silence. Name one of the Beatles. <laughs> Everybody stand. Oh, yeah, I know. George and Paul and John and Ringo. Everybody knew that. Now, Jay Leno wasn't spoofing the Bible that night. But he was spoofing our society, which claims that, you know, that our roots, right, uh, um, are in Judeo-Christian principles, right, grounded on Judeo-Christian principles. 
And yet, according to a number of surveys, it's increasingly losing touch with the scriptures of those faiths. Yeah. In fact, uh, uh, in a recent Gallup poll revealed that one, uh, only two out of ten people were able to, to uh, answer correctly who delivered the Sermon on the Mount. So who delivered the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, all right, just wanted to check on that. But I wonder how would you do if I were to hand you a piece of paper and a pencil and ask you to write the Ten Commandments down in the right order? Would you pass or would you fail? I'm not going to do it just for you to think about that. Now, I often uh, quote the, uh, the Barna group uh, because I enjoy the, the fact that this is an organization that that spends time doing, you know, conducting studies and, and surveys regarding spiritual matters. matters. And uh, uh, they report uh, that in the last six years alone, they say, we have seen unprecedented changes in Bible reading. Nearly a quarter of a century ago, in 1991, can you believe that? It was a quarter of a century ago. Shh, my goodness. In uh, 1991, it, it, this is what they found, 45% back then, of Americans told Barna that they read the Bible at least once a week. Now, you may think, we have 45%. That's a good, that's a good percentage. In 2009, 46% reported doing so. So the percentage has remained remarkably consistent over the last or the nearly two decades. But since 2009, Bible reading has become less widespread, especially among young adults. As more and more millennials join the ranks of adulthood, the national average continues to weaken. Today, about one-third of all American adults report reading the Bible once a week or more. Now, the sad thing about this is, you know, I think that most of us, if not all of us, can agree that, the, that morality in our society is going downhill. Does that, you agree with that? I think it's pretty clear that, that morality is going downhill. And so the sad part about this is that p- people fail to see a connection between the fact that most people aren't reading the Bible and this demise in morality. Now, 81% of Americans blame this demise in morality on, on TV, movies, and videos. And I, and I would say, yes, there, there is something to that. Those things that we watch, if we watch them on and on, you know, sort of become normal, and so we think they're okay. But friends, I believe that there is a clear connection between the fact that morality is in a downhill slope and the fact that most Americans aren't reading their Bibles. Now, you may wonder, how do Seventh-day Adventists uh, measure up with this? Now, I didn't find a particular study that Barna did on Seventh-day Adventists, but from the uh, Adventist Office of Archives, uh, Statistics and Research, they they uh, report that only 42% of Seventh-day Adventists read their Bible every day. Think about that. That means that 58% of Seventh-day Adventists do not read their Bible every day. Now, we talk about the the, the importance of being fed spiritually, of eating every day the spiritual bread of life. And 58% of our church does not do that. Is there a connection between 
even perhaps the, the, the downhill in morality, even perhaps in our own church, and the fact that the majority of Seventh-day Adventists do not read the Bible every day. I think there is. I think there is. There is there's something powerful from the Word of God, don't you think? Yeah. Let's open up our Bibles to the uh, Psalms 119. Psalm 119, we're going to read verses 9 through 16 from the New King James Version. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. That's where we're going to focus our study today. And David starts verse 9 by asking a question. Psalm 119, verse 9 through 16. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. As much as in all riches, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now, you know, if, any, if you're anything like me, you have problems remembering things. You know, I often joke around that I have sometimes disease. Sometimes I remember things, sometimes I don't. And um, I'll be honest with you, I have uh, uh, memorizing scripture has been a challenge for me over the years. Maybe, maybe that's the same thing with you. You know, just, you know, I, I, I'm able to paraphrase a lot of passages and, and tell you, well, this is where it's found, but, but to say that I can, you know, blurt it out word for word, it's hard for me. I, I'm, I'm honest with you. And I think that this is something that is challenging for a lot of you, too. And so, you know, today, what I want us to look at is how how can we delight in the Word of God so that we will not forget? You know, the title of the message is Delight and You Won't Forget. Delighting in the Word of God and you won't forget it. Because okay, I, I, as we read Scripture, it, it seems clear that God wants us to remember His Word. And I believe that if we are remembering His Word, the issues of the decline in morality in our society would be resolved. Or certainly they would be a lot better. So, delight in the Word of God, it, well, you will not forget it, and it will change you. I want you to remember that today. And so, notice verse 9. Again, let's go back to verse 9. How can we delight in Scripture, you may ask? And so, David answers by asking this question, how can a young man cleanse his way? By what means can we ensure that the next generation is better than today? Again, if morality in society is going downhill, you know, it's hard. You know, I, I, I say sometimes it's hard for, to be a young person these days because they're exposed to so many temptations, so many things that are, are trying to distract them and take them to the wrong, to the different direction. But, you know, it's not just the young people because some of us who are not as young, not that I'm old, but not as old, or not as young anyway. 
uh, uh, you know, the, the fact is there's a lot of temptations. And so if things are bad today, I mean, if you think about the way the world was 20 years ago and how it is today, I mean, things are, you know, going downhill. So, so, so if, if, if it's bad today, how can we ensure that things are better for the next generation? That's what, in essence, David is asking. How can we do that? Well, young men and women must make the Word of God their rule their rule. They must acquaint themselves with it and conform themselves to it, live their lives by it. But again, that advice is not for the young people only. It's for us too, right? It's for us too. We need to do the same thing. And by the way, you know, if we are to ensure that the younger generation is better in the future than it is today, then we, of course, the older generation, have to be an example. And Lucy talked about that earlier in the Sabbath school. You know, we can talk until our faces turn blue with our children. Tell them until our faces turn blue, read your Bible, spend time with God. But if they're not seeing you do it, it's not going to work. If you want to ensure that your children have a relationship with God and make God a priority and are studying their, His Word and are, are, are digesting, being nourished by the Word of God, they, they must, be, uh, must see you do it too. And so if we were to answer this question, how can we ensure, how can we ensure that the next generation is better, that the, the, the young man cleanses his way, one way is for us, the older adults, to make, make sure that we are doing it. Because otherwise they won't. Otherwise they won't. Be an example. But again, you know, uh, you know, David answers his own question. How can a young man cleanse his way? He answers by saying, by taking heed according to your word. By taking heed according to your word. What does taking heed mean? Well, this word in the Hebrew simply means by living according to it. How can a man, how can a young man cleanse his way? How can we ensure that the next generation is better than it is today by, by living according to the principles of Scripture? By, by obeying the Word of God. That makes sense. See, today we're living in a time where people are ignoring the Word of God, let alone, you know, living by its principles. And then no wonder we live in, in a terrible time, in a terrible society. Because people are not living according to it. And so how can we ensure that? How can we ensure that the younger generation cleanse their way that are better? Of course, we need to be example. But, and, 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 and the example is also by living according to the principles of God's word. We need to be the example of it. And they need to be doing it too. They need to live according to it. I, I like the way the, um, the message translation, you know, the message Bible is a paraphrase, not an actual translation, but a paraphrase. But sometimes I refer to it because it seems to clear things up a little bit. And, and so there's that question again, how can a young man cleanse his way? Uh, uh, the message translation says, by carefully reading the map of your word. How many of you know how to read a map? Let me see the hands. Well, there's a, there's a good number of you. I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. But, you know, if you were to ask the younger folks, you know, you know to read a map, maybe you'll even ask, what is a map? You know, reading a map is sort of a lost art these days, right? Well, we have technology. You know, we have GPS technology. Some, you know, so if you ask the young people, you know, the map, what do we need the map for? I got a GPS. And, and, you know, I can't, you know, blame them because, you know, I use the GPS all the time now. 
right? I have it on my phone. It updates automatically. Uh, uh, and so this is what I use. But those of us here that you know, are not as young uh, remember when we didn't have GPS technology. When that was a thing of the future, like seeing the Jetsons, you know, because that's you know, that was unheard of. And so you needed, if you needed, if you wanted to go from point A to point B, if you didn't know how to get there, you needed a map. You know, I had, um, I always had a map in my car. You know, a little, it's, it's a booklet this big, and uh, Philadelphia and the surrounding counties, and and I always had it in my car. And where, no matter where I went, there it was. And when I first became a paramedic. Reading a map was part of the skills you had to learn. You had to learn that. Yeah, in fact, um, I may have told some of you this, but when I first got assigned to my first firehouse out of the fire academy, in fact, they, they tell us, they teach us in the fire academy, when you get to your firehouse, to your station, make sure the, one of the first things you do is to learn the local. Now, the local is the district that we're in, the first name district. You've got to learn the local. And so when I get there, of course, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, I, I start, uh, I'm started being trained to drive the engine truck. And so if you're going to be driving, you don't know where you're going. So learn the map. And so I learned the entire district, the first in district of my station. I memorized it. So there goes that what I said earlier. Uh, sometimes I can, I can memorize things that, and sometimes I can't. Anyway, I memorized it. Because when the bells ring, that's not the time for you to go look at the map, right? You need to get there. And so I memorized the map. And, and, and so when the bells ring, I, I heard the, the, the address. I knew where that was and how to get there. You, you, you learn the little streets, the one ways, which way they run, all that you got to learn. Okay? And I had a, remember I had a colleague who had been there a long time. And yet when the bells rang, oh, let me see the map real quick. Let me see where this is. Yeah, this is not the time to do that. Carefully reading the map. So here, obviously, for me to memorize the map, I had to spend time in it. I had to spend time focused. In fact, sometimes um, working as a paramedic, there, there were times, this happened very often in Philadelphia, where it was so busy that the city would run out of medic units. So that means that there were so many 911 calls coming that the ambulance were already busy in a 911 call, so there was no ambulance to respond. So what ended up happening when that happens is that, you know, once we become available, they give you the next call, they'll send you to the other side of the city. Takes you, you know, 25 minutes, 30 minutes to get there. But that's just the way it was. But obviously, you know, they're sending you the other side of the city. That's not my, old, my, my first in local. So while I knew the, a lot of the city, I didn't know all of the city. So a lot of times they would send us, you know, far away this is a serious medical emergency, and I remember there were times when, um, you know, they give you the street name, so on the back of the map, you, you know, you look for the street name, and there's a, the page in the, in the little grid, so you look for it. But some of these streets, however, was just so tiny that I, I just couldn't find them. And here we are, we're on our way there, this is a serious medical emergency. I, I remember times when the, the, the first responder would get there first, and they would give report, listen, this is what's going on, the medic unit needs to get here, and I don't know how to get there, where's this street? I'm just focusing on the map to try to find it. And, and so I, I'm thinking about this, the way the message translation talks about this. How can we, you know, the next generation be better than it is today? By carefully reading the map of your word. If we're going to be reading Scripture, we have to focus. We have to dedicate time to it so that we can learn from it. That's what it means. In verse 10, 
David says, with my whole heart I have sought you. Think about that. This talks about intentionality. It talks about commitment. My whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Because we're prone to wander, aren't we? Like the sheep on the mountainside, we go astray. And so we need to seek God through his word as if our life's dependent on it. As if it was an emergency, because it truly is, friends. We are in this great conflict. And I hate to think about if things are bad now, morality, speaking morality, I hate to think about what the world will be in 20 years if Jesus hasn't come. That's a sad thing to think about. Yeah, it's an emergency, friends. And the fact is, if we're not, we're going to wander off. This word wander, in the Hebrew, shagah, it means to behave as if intoxicated or to sin through ignorance. Now, if you've ever been intoxicated, you know that when you're intoxicated, you don't think correctly. You do things that you normally wouldn't do, right? All the inhibitions are gone when you're intoxicated. And, and sinning through ignorance. You know, there is such a thing as sinning through ignorance. I'm actually was re- I'm reading a book now uh, on this issue and, 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 and the three dimensions of sin. It talks about the, 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 the judgment of sin, the condemnation, but you have the, the voluntary sins and then you have involuntary sins because of our sinful nature. But the, the, the thing about this is, friends, when we're not grounded on the Word of God, we will not know the difference between right and wrong. Amen. And isn't that what's happening in our world today? You know, this is why morality is going downhill, because there, 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 is, there are things, friends, that, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, wrong things were wrong. I mean, and not, because, not, not only because Scripture said it, but because logically and common sense told you it was wrong. But not today. Not today. Things, you know, Scripture says that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter, it doesn't care. You know, and then who are you? If you were to point it out, who are you to point that out? You're judging me and this and that and the other. That's a terrible time that we're living in, friends. It's a terrible time that we're living in, you know. You know, when we're not taking heed, we're not living according to the the principles of God's word. We're not seeking uh, God through his word like if our life depended on it. You know what happens? That our defenses become low. And when your defenses are low, you know that, you know, we talk about COVID-19 and, and, and all that stuff. You know, those people that are immunocompromised, their defenses are low, are susceptible to catching something, right? But when your defenses are low, spiritually speaking, who do you think knows about it? Satan knows about it, friends, because he's watching carefully. He is watching to see, and, one, and when your defenses are low, there he is right, right away to take advantage of it. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about because I've been there. In fact, uh, uh, um, many years ago already, before I became pastor, I, you know, I was an elder in the church, and so you know, as an elder I would you know, preach at least once a quarter. I was a Sabbath school teacher. I helped with the youth. I you know, gave Bible studies occasionally. I did all those things. I was so busy. I wanted to do it all. And, but, but I remember, you know, I would get up in the morning because I had, you know, work and, and, I, and I wanted to go to the gym. Again, there was, I wanted to do everything. So, yes, I would read the Bible for five minutes and I would, you know, hurry right through it so that I could say that I read the Bible and move on. But that wasn't benefiting me in any way. It wasn't benefiting me. And so I became weak 
when I became weak, Satan took advantage of it. And I'm not going to go into details, but, you know, he took advantage of it so much that he nearly destroyed me, destroyed my family. And sometimes when I look back, I wonder if I'd be, even be alive today if God had not had intervened to sort of wake me up. But Satan takes advantage of it, friends. We need to make sure that we're reading our Bible, that we're studying the light in the Word of God. You will not forget it, and it will change you. It will change you, friends. And if, and if you feel the same way, maybe this is you. Maybe you, you, you've noticed that you're weak spiritually. Is there a connection, maybe, between that and, and if you're not you know, being fed daily by the Word of God? If there's a connection, you know what you need to do. Verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Yeah? He has hidden. This word hidden simply means that, that David stored his, his word in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a special place. He treasured God's word. The, the word of God was important to him. Is it important to you? You know, we often, when there's something important to us, something of value in our home... Sometimes what do we do? We either maybe place it in a high place. People can watch it. People can look at it. It's very nice and important, but you don't want nothing to happen to it, right? Or, or you, you hide things that are important to you, uh, uh, valuable to you in a place so that nobody else can find it. Yeah. I remember when I was, uh, this was years ago. Some of you already know that I'm a chocolate-holic. Yes, I'm a chocolate-holic. And, and, and among all the chocolates that, that they sell, Dove chocolate. That's the best chocolate, Dove chocolate, yeah. And so, you know, years uh, ago, I don't do this anymore, but, but I, I, was, I was really addicted to Dove chocolate. And, you know, when you have an addiction, you sort of have this physical yearning. And so a, a, after dinner every day, I had to have a few pieces of Dove chocolate. I could feel it. And I didn't feel well until I had my Dove chocolate. Yeah, I mean, it's just the way it is. I'm confessing my sins here before you. But, you know, uh, my daughter, Ariana, inherited my uh, addiction to Dove chocolate. Now, she's grown out of that already. Yes. But back then, she, would, she loved it, too. And so I would buy the Dove chocolate, and, and, and she would eat it. And when I went to get my Dove chocolate, it was gone. So I had to find creative ways to hide my Dove chocolate. It was valuable to me, the Dove chocolate. I, I got to make sure that my daughter doesn't eat my... Because, you know, I, I would get her a bag, but she would eat through her bag, and then she would eat mine. So I would try to find creative ways to, to hide a Dove chocolate. But, you know, I guess she developed a, like the, the sense of a dog. She could smell it. And no matter what I did, she would always find the Dove chocolate, I'll tell you. But, you know, I, I, I was hiding it because it was important to me, and I didn't want nobody taking away my Dove chocolate. David says, I have hidden your word in my heart. So, so he's, hiding, he's hiding the word. He stored it in a place, and, and this word heart it's in my mind. He's talking about his mind. So, so I have stored, I have treasured up your word in my mind and the end result of that so that I might not sin against you. So if you want to be faithful to God, you don't want to sin against God, then what do you need to do? You need to value the word of God. You need to store it up here. 
You need to store it up here. Nobody can take it away. You know, we are so lucky today to have um, the Bible so readily available. You know, all of you have your probably your electronic devices, right? Phones, iPads, whatever the case may be. And you have a bunch of Bibles in it, right? I have, you know, you, know, you go on, on, on BibleGateway.com, you know, right? And that's, you got all kinds of translations there and in different languages or whatever apps you have. The Bible is so readily available today. It, it didn't always used to be that way, right? Some of you remember when, when maybe in your house there was one Bible, right? Some, some people didn't even have a Bible. But, you know, in, in many places there was one Bible. And this way away was my house. My mom, we, had, we owned one Bible. And my mom would put it in a center table in the living room, and she would open it up so that it would look it's like a knickknack. You know, that's what the Bible was, right? So she would open it up so to, to make it, you know, the, the, uh, the living room look nice. Every couple of weeks she would dust it off. <laughs> but that was it. You know, nobody read it. Today we have the Bible readily available to us, and yet, notice, one-third of Americans don't read their Bible at least once a week or more, and, four, and, and 58% of Seventh-day Adventists don't read it every day. That is a sad reality, friend. That is sad. Now, of course, reading the Bible like in a hurry, like I used to do, is not going to benefit you. If, if you're just reading the Bible like that without doing something to, 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 to digest it, to, for it to become part of you, do what you can so that you remember these things, it was not, it's not going to benefit you. It's not going to benefit you. You need to learn how to apply it to your life. Treasure it up, right? A mere knowledge of the Word of God will not, will not keep us from sin. If you're there just to learn facts and figures, you know, you can, ha- you can have all the knowledge of the 2,300 days, right? Know when it started, know where it ended, know all the ins and outs. But if you're not applying the Word of God to your life, it's not benefiting you. It's not going to keep you from sinning. Yeah. But when you, the Word of God is treasured up in the heart, right, something valuable, you store it up there so that, so that it doesn't go away. Because, you know, there may be a time when the Word of God is taken away from us. We got technology, and, and technology is great until it stops working, right? This is why I don't preach with, a, with an iPad, because I'm afraid that it will stop working. You know, I, I'd rather use, there it is. But, you know, that may be the time when they, they even take these away. But if you've stored it up here, nobody can take it away. Nobody can take it away. And this is what David says. Proverbs 2, verses 1 and 5, My son, if you receive my words... And treasure my commands within you, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. Find the knowledge of God. Good men and women are afraid of sinning, and they will do whatever it takes to prevent from doing it. Yeah. And the most effectual way is to hide God's word in your hearts, in your minds. And and friends, this is why a, a, a devotional time is of such importance. I know that I've told you this. You know, as, as they say, at nauseum, we've talked about this. But I'm not going to get tired of it because the fact of the matter is, if we are going to grow spiritually, the, the problem with, with, with morality, the problem with perhaps even the challenges that we're facing in our own church is because people, if people are not reading their Bibles, 58% of, of Seventh-day Adventists aren't reading their Bibles every day, that tells me that 58% of Seventh-day Adventists aren't having a devotional time. 
And so, you know, and, and, and so we're going to go, we're going to suffer spiritually. I brought this up many times. We have, and, I, and, I, and I'll plug into this, we just finished last Thursday uh, the class that we had uh, on uh, titled Time with God, 12 Essential Steps to Enhancing Your Devotional Time, because while there may be many people who acknowledge the, the need and the importance of the devotional life, many people don't understand how to do it. Well, how do I do, what do I do in a devotional life? What, what, what kind of things do I do, et cetera? So this class, you know, was, it was presented in such a way to provide you with ideas, guidelines on how to have a devotional time. Now, you know, I wish the entire church was, was part of this class, quite frankly. We had a small group, and, and even we, the group started bigger, and it sort of fizzled, fizzled out. But the, the fact is, I know from, from speaking to those that were in the class, that it was a very practical and, and I, I, told, I was talking to Nate about this the other day, and I told him, you know, this was the most practical class that I had led. It's that important. Now, we finished it. It was 12 weeks that we spent together uh, studying this. And, of course, again, I wish the entire church was, but we finished. Now, if, if this is something that, that, that you think is important, that interests you, that you want to learn, I don't mind, you know, starting another 12-week session with an, a, newer, a new group that wants to learn about this because this is that important, friends. This is that importance for our spiritual life. You delight in the Word of God, you will not forget it, and it will transform you, right? So, again, the, the fact of the matter is we, you know, I don't know if you, you know, know this, but I always carry with a, with a pocket knife. Now, this is a little tiny one. I only, I only bring this one to, when, I, when I come to church. It's tiny, but uh, I collect them. You know, I collect knives, and so sometimes they're, they're bigger. It, but, you know, it's one of those things I don't leave home without it because I, I don't ever know when I'm going to need to cut something. <laughs> Say no more. I'm not going to go into any more details. <laughs> Come on, Nate. Amen. <laughs> but the Word of God ought to be like that, Right? Like American Express, don't leave home without it. You don't want to face an enemy without a weapon. And the Word of God is the weapon. You need to be, it's the, it's the, it's the sword of the Spirit, right? Keep it nestled in your heart. Delight in the Word of God. You will not forget it, and it will change you. You need to be trained by God. Interestingly enough, we're talking about education in our Sabbath school. Verse 12, bless are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. And friends, there's no better teacher than our God, and there's no better textbook than the Bible. And if we allow God to teach us through his word, friends, then the natural results, again, because it changes us, the natural results is verse 13. With my lips, I have declared all your judgments, all the judgments of your mouth. You know, people often talk about what's important to them right? You have a conversation with somebody, and within five minutes, sometimes they just change their conversation to something they always talk about because it's important to them, right? You know, I, I've, um, uh, 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 pastors have usually two workers' meetings during the year. Pa we call it pastors' meeting, where all the pastors come together and spend time together and, and for training. And, and then if you add uh, camp meeting to that, or at least camp pitch when we're all together working together. Um, it's funny that, you know, you know, with COVID-19, even those things have gone away. 
But, you know, I, one of the things I look forward to, because it spends time, and, and it, get me an, it, it gives me an opportunity to, to spend time with my Hispanic colleagues. Yeah. It gives me an opportunity to speak the heavenly language. But, you know, sometimes I, 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 I joke around with this because we get together and we start talking. But within 15 minutes or so of us talking, they start speaking Chinese to me. You know, well, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, where the places where my colleagues come from are Central America, South America. And those Central South American countries, soccer is a very big deal. Football, right? Yeah, I know that you like el football. Central America, South America. And I'm from Puerto Rico. We don't care about soccer. Soccer is not something that was part of our, you know. Baseball was the national pastime, right? Just like in America, at least, I don't know, that's, that used to be the case. Baseball was the national pastime. But I don't know anything about soccer. But that's all they talk about. They talk about all the players. They talk about all every rules. They know everything. And so it's just Chinese to me. But they, they talk about it because it's important to them, right? We talk about the things that are important to us. And so I wonder, if, if somebody's talking to you, can they sense what's important to you? When you have a conversation with them, do you immediately move into a spiritual conversation, talking about Jesus, talking about God's Word, what it's done in your life? Because that's what happened when we're spending time, when we're storing up God's word in our minds, in our hearts, it becomes part of us. It's natural. We won't even have to think about it because that's exactly how it happens. And people will tell you, you know, when you talk to, when you talk to Nathaniel, man, the Bible's all, that's what he talks about. You see, that, that, that's the way it ought to be. With my lips I have declared the judge, your judgments. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Right? And so every faithful disciple will tell others of the great joy in the Word of God and will invite them to, to participate in that, to share in that blessed experience. And then we can rejoice in the Word. Verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. How many of you would not mind if you learned that you had an uh, uh, old, you know, distant relative who was rich and died and left you $100 million. Come on. Not everybody's raising their hand, but I know, I know truth. I know truth. Yeah? Nate raised both hands. They say that money doesn't buy happiness, but I would not mind giving it a shot. Amen? But notice, though, the believer finds in the Word of God more satisfaction than in all the wealth in the world, than all the precious rubies, than all the gold and the precious stones. Friends, earthly, no matter what, earthly treasure fades. It will be burned up, but the Word of God endures forever, friends. Endures forever. Some of you know about George Mueller. You've heard of George Mueller before, you know, pastor and and uh, just a m mighty uh, a Christian of yesteryear, um, after having read the Bible through 100 times and with increasing delight, this is what he said. I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had a good time over the Word of God. Friends often say, I have, I have so much to do, 
so many people to see, I cannot find time for scripture study. Maybe this is, some, uh, this is how some of you are feeling, right? Perhaps, he, he continues saying, perhaps there are, not many, uh, there are not many who have more to do than I. This is what George Mueller said. For more than half of a century, I have never known one day when I had more business than I could get through. For four years, I have had annually about 30,000 letters, and most of these have passed through my own hands. Then as a pastor of a church with 1,200 believers, great has been my care. Besides, uh, I have had charge of five immense orphanages. Also, at my publishing depot and in the printing of, and circulating of millions of tracts, books, and Bibles. But... I have always made it a rule never to begin work until I have had a good season with God and His Word. Notice, he made this a rule in his life. He's not going to start anything without first spending time with God through His Word. And he says, the blessing I have received has been wonderful. Friends, this is the same blessing you can get as well. Don't start your day without spending time with God. The rewards will be amazing. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Talks about meditation. Now, interestingly enough, on our Time with God class, our first session was about meditating. You remember, Mary, meditating on the Word of God. Some people get nervous when we talk about meditation. But we're not talking about this Eastern form of meditation where you empty your mind. We're talking about meditation upon the Word of God. You fill your mind with the Word of God. You, you let it, you know, go around your mind. You're consistently thinking about it. That's what meditation is. The soul that meditates on the truth of the Word of God, these truths become part of life. Again, a hasty reading is not going to benefit you. This is what I used to do. But quiet meditation permits the Holy Spirit to make the appropriate application of the statements of the Bible to your life, to your experience, to what you're going through. Because if, it do, it doesn't, if it's not applied to you, then it's no benefit. It's no benefit. Meditation helps to guard against temptation. The mind that is filled with the precepts of the Word of God, there's no room for anything else. There's no room for anything else. And the person who has his mind stored with the Word of God will tread upon the pure path and naturally will say, notice verse 16, I will delight myself in your, in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is the end result. This is what we want. We want to delight in the Word of God. We, will want, we don't want to forget the Word of God. So what do we do? We take heed. We live according to its principles, right? We store it in our mind so that nobody takes it away. We seek God through His Word with all our hearts. This is talking about intentional commitment, friends. Not forget the Word of God. Those who meditate in God's Word and delight in it are no, in no great danger of forgetting about it. And that's what I want. I hope that's what you want too. You know, one of the most dramatic examples of the Bible's uh, power, ability to transform lives, involves uh, the story of the famous mutiny aboard the ship called the Bounty. The Bounty. Following their rebellion against the notorious Captain Bly, nine mutineers, along with some Tahitian men and women who accompanied them, found their way to the Pitcairn Island. Karen Island is just a tiny dot in the South Pacific, about two miles long, one mile wide. 
Ten years later, after this mutiny, drinking and fighting had left only one man alive, John Adams. And with him were 11 women and 23 children who, who made up the, you know, the rest of the population of that tiny island. Now, so far, I mean, if you've read the book or seen the movie, this is sort of familiar to you, the story. But the rest of the story is even more remarkable. About this time, again, 10 years later, uh, John Adams came across the, the Bounty's Bible. It was stored in an old chest. And he began to read it, and, and, and the divine power of God's Word reached into his heart, uh, that heart that was hardened, a, a, a murderer, a, 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 a drunk. And the divine power of God's Word transformed him, friends. His life was changed. The peace and the love that Adams found in the Bible entirely replaced the old quarreling and brawling and the liquor. He began to teach the children in the island the Word of God, and every person on the island experienced the same change that he, and the the same peace that he found in the Word of God. They all accepted Christ, became Christians. Yeah. Now, the Pekiners, the the members of this island, the, the inhabitants, would later convert from their existing form of Christianity to Adventism in the 1890s after a successful Adventist mission. You know, we were reading about this not long ago. We have a a devotional uh, book called Less We Forget, written by George Knight. It goes over the, you know, the um, different, uh, the Adventist history, and they talk about this, uh, how this, uh, the inhabitants of these islands became Adventists. This is the power of the Word of God, friends. The power of the Word of God. Let me leave you with a, a statement from the book, Preparation from the Final Crisis, page 593. None but those who have faithfully, or rather have fortified their minds with the truth of the Bible will stand through the great final conflict. No, I'm going to say it again. None but those who have fortified their minds with the truth of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. And I think we can, we can agree that that last great conflict is soon to come. And if we're not fortifying our words, with, uh, our minds with the Word of God, we're not going to make it. And so how are you with this book? How are you with it? You know, in the context of, of Psalm 119, it, David is really talking about his sin, the, the defilement, inconsistency, and the actual sin in his life. But he says that all that yielded to the powerful influence of God's Word. You delight in the Word of God, you will not forget it, and it will transform you. And so I, I, I'd like to encourage you, if you haven't done this, to make a commitment, the intentional commitment of making this book the most important part of your life, the map, if you will, of your life, the manual for you to function correctly, and the dividends will pay off greatly. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.